everyone. My name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on this special Mother's Day episode. Uh, I know this is a couple days after Mother's Day, but to all of you moms who are listening, happy Mother's Day. You are very appreciated. As far as I'm concerned, you guys are superheroes. Well, to all of uh, all of you, happy Mother's Day. I, I was going to go in a, a different direction with this particular message um, in, in this episode. And I was praying for our moms, and I had this, uh, this message intended to talk about just how great you, uh, you moms are. Uh, we were going to talk about the things that they add to their children's lives, and I had planned to preach about mothers. But uh, last Wednesday, I was walking my son Asher around the house. I was praying. Um, helps him actually go to sleep for his nap, so I was praying with him. And as I was praying for the moms in our church and for those who listen to this podcast, um, God changed my plans. He he dumped something different into me. I, I was just asking God, what do you want me to say? Um, you know, is this the right direction that you want me to go? And instead of where I was going to go, he gave me something else. Um, it's been a very long time since I've done this, but I felt really strongly like God impressed on my heart to share with you a message that I actually preached a couple of years ago. I haven't, I haven't preached a, a sermon a, over again in a very long time, uh, but I just felt like I needed to do that. And uh, no doubt in my mind, this is exactly what, what God was wanting us to do. And I have no doubt that God knew that this is exactly what our moms needed to hear at this moment in their lives. So if you're a mom... Uh, before I, I I jump in, uh, let me let me kind of just set it up a little bit um, for you moms who are are listening. This is especially for you. But if you're not a mom and you're listening, hey, you know what? Uh, you can get something out of this too. This message still applies to you as well. But I am going to be directing it specifically at the women, uh, at the mothers. You know, it's easy to go through life and think that you're lacking in some key area that you should be better at this thing or do more of that thing. And that's especially true in the world that we live in today, where we compare the fullness of our lives against the snapshots of someone else's life. I mean, think about Facebook and Instagram, right? Think about your your TikTok, your Twitter, all of these things where we post up online to share parts of our lives, but we don't share all of our lives, do we? We share the highlights. We share only the best things. And then when we look at other people's lives, it, it, it's like it doesn't dawn on us that what we are seeing is the highlight reel. We are seeing the moments that went right. We're seeing the moments that were good. We're seeing the, the highlight reel, but we're not getting the full context. And we compare the fullness of our lives with all of the ups and downs, with all of the disappointments, with all of the, uh, you know, the dinners that don't look so great, um, with that person's picture that they took of this, you know, perfect dinner they put together and how how beautiful it looks, or you know, the the location they're at, and just in that moment, their life was great, and they happened to capture it on film, and so all of a sudden we, uh, or, or on digital, I guess I shouldn't say film anymore, <clears throat> but they got a picture. 
And then we compare the fullness of our lives against someone else's highlight reel. And when we do that, of course, our life comes up short. We just assume we're not as good as that person. But the fact is they're probably thinking the same thing while looking at your pictures. What I hope that you're going to leave this episode with are the three words that God wanted me to share with you. And these three little words that some of you have been longing to hear, these three words that many of you have struggled to believe and carry with you. You are enough. I'm going to say that one more time. I want you to get it. You are enough. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read about a woman by the name of Hannah. And she was married to a man named Elkanah. Now, Hannah had a couple of very big problems. First, she was not able to bear children. That's a problem. But second, and, and just as bad, her husband had more than one wife. And his other, were, his other wife, Panina, she had several children. Now, to really understand this problem, I do want to give a couple uh, things as context. Uh, first of all, polygamy is not something the Bible endorses. All right, now it talks about it. It mentions it quite a bit, but the Bible does not endorse polygamy. Okay, this is something the Israelites had picked up from their pagan neighbors. It's not the way God originally intended marriage. I mean, think about it. When God made marriage, how did he do it? He made Adam and Eve, right? One man, one woman, that's it. That's how God intended marriage to be. It is the only type of marriage that God recognizes. And yet, we do see that there are great men in the Bible who had multiple wives. So it's important that we understand that just because the Bible records that something happened does not mean the Bible is endorsing that we do that thing, okay? The Bible doesn't ever command us to take more than one wife. In fact, uh, it's not encouraged. It's just something that the Bible records, hey, this is something that happened. This is something that existed. This was part of the culture. And yet, it's important to understand how the Bible portrays those relationships. Every time that we look in Scripture and there is a man with multiple wives, the Bible highlights the pain and the friction caused by that arrangement. God intended marriage specifically one man, one woman, that's it. That is the way that marriage is portrayed throughout history, throughout scriptures, right? Throughout all of creation. And yet, Hannah finds herself in a marriage that is not in line with the way God intended marriage to be. And because of this, there's tremendous pain that is caused. There's tremendous friction that is caused. And that's the scene that we begin with in 1 Samuel. Uh, second, <clears throat> children were the way that a man's name was passed down. And so being able to bear children was considered a sign that God had favored you. And being barren was considered a curse of God. That means that Hannah would have been considered someone whom God had cursed. So imagine for a moment being Hannah, feeling like God had cursed you and having to look at all the children that Penina was taking care of. And third, the other wife, Penina, the Bible actually calls her Hannah's rival. Now, this gives a lot of context about the relationship between the two wives and the reason why polygamy is such a bad idea. Every year, the family would make a trip to the temple in Shiloh. When the time came to make sacrifices, Elkanah would give portions 
for the sacrifices to Penina and her children, but then he would give a double portion to Hannah because he loved her dearly and he knew how much it hurt her to have no children. And, and this act, while coming from a good place, it served only as a reminder to Hannah of what she didn't have. And all the while, her rival, Penina, would taunt her about having no children. This is a real-life story of how so many mothers feel in our world today. I mean, think about this. We've got television shows about the perfect moms. We see Facebook and Instagram posts about the perfect family. We even have a culture that shames moms for staying at home with children to raise them because modern-day feminism has told women they're supposed to have it all and do it all, and that might make the average woman who's a real human being feel a little inadequate. Let me just tell you that that feeling is not from God. Imagine being Hannah for a minute. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, she sees looks from people and thinks to herself, they know I'm barren and they're judging me. Those communities were very tight-knit. They knew each other's business. They understood all of that. And so it's important to understand that they probably knew she was barren. They probably knew the family. They knew Elkanah, right? They, they knew Panina. They knew Hannah. They probably knew the kids by name. And so they all understood already. The, the neighborhood understood the problem here that she was barren. Every time her husband would have looked at her with concern, she thinks to herself that he's looking at her with disappointment. Panina is constantly taunting her and provoking her about her condition. If, if anyone had a right to feel like she was inadequate, it was Hannah. And this happens year after year. Every single year they would go to the temple, Panina would provoke her so much that she would be driven to tears, and Hannah would be so upset that she could not even eat. Her well-intentioned husband, who was, like most husbands, also clueless, would say to her, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? Why are you so sad? Aren't I better than 10 sons? Uh, like I said, clueless. She would eat and perhaps to appease her husband and then she'd go and get up and go pray. Well, finally, one year she was praying at the temple as Eli, the priest, was sitting nearby. She was once again overcome with grief and pain and made a vow before God to dedicate the children to him if God would only grant her a son, right? She said, God, if I will dedicate my child to you, if you would just give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll dedicate him to you. But if you please would just give me a son. Now she wasn't praying this out loud. She was actually praying this in her heart, but her lips were quivering. Have you ever done that where you're, you're talking to yourself, you're saying something in your mind, you're you're not speaking it out loud, but your lips are kind of moving the words. This is what's going on. And Eli, the priest, sees her crying there while moving her mouth, not speaking, thinking she's drunk. So he gets up to go drive her off. And that's when she told him what's really going on. She had just made a request to the Lord. And Eli told her this. He said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your request that you have asked of him. Now, the Bible then states she got up went on her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. And then later in 1 Samuel 1.19, it says this, When they got up early in the morning, worshipped before the Lord, they returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord 
remembered her. The Lord remembered her. Here, here's a woman who had spent years seeing a picture-perfect family she couldn't have. Here's a woman who was constantly being compared to the other wife that had given her husband children. Hannah had spent much of her life believing and being told by society that she was not good enough because of her inability to have children. She would have been seen as cursed by God. And I really want you to get this right now, because if Hannah was a modern day woman, she would be the one looking through Instagram at the pictures of everyone else's perfect families. Hannah would have been the person being bullied online. Hannah would have been comparing herself to the images of everyone else's life and feeling like she was just not enough. Hannah had just hit her lowest point. She was not at a breaking point. She was broken. She had come to church to beg God for a miracle. The same God that society would have believed had cursed her. And while she's crying out for God to do something, the pastor approaches her. Surely this must be God sending me a message, right? No, Eli actually accuses her of being drunk and begins to chew her out for it. I can only imagine how little she must have felt in that moment. God had closed her womb. She couldn't have children. Her husband had another wife who had several. The other wife constantly taunted her about her condition, and now the pastor is accusing her of coming to church drunk and is chewing her out over it. And she actually tells Eli something that really reveals the condition of her heart. It reveals the depth of the pain she was feeling in this moment. Here's what she says, don't consider me a useless woman. Don't consider me a useless woman. Now that statement is huge. It shows how deep the pain was. It shows where her heart is at in this moment. Because in essence, what she was saying is this. I'm not drunk. I'm not a drunk. I'm a broken woman who has been in so much pain. I can't even talk. I came here to ask God for a miracle. Please don't look at me the way that so many others do. Like I don't matter. Like I'm not worth anything. It shows where her heart was at. That when Eli came over and she saw this look, it was the same look as she had seen from others. She believed that Eli was looking at her as if she was useless, worthless, and she couldn't take it. Eli's response was very simple. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your request. In other words, he said this essentially. Dear woman, may you have peace in your heart, knowing that God heard you and will grant your request. His response was simple. It wasn't flattering, but it was kind. What's more than that, though, the priest had just said, may God give you what you asked, and that was enough for her. She was no longer sad. God had given her an answer after all. Now, here's the point that she was in in this story. At this moment now, she gets word from the priest that God, may God give you what you've asked. She doesn't have a son yet. And there's a lot of, a lot of you right now who are listening that this is exactly the place you are at in your life. You have asked God for something, you've asked God for something, you've asked God for something, and now I'm going to tell you, may God give you what you have asked. Now here's where you have to decide. 
Do you continue to doubt? Do you continue to question? Do you continue to ask God again and again and again and again? Or are you going to now take it on faith that what God has said he will do, he will do? Are you going to trust that your answer is on the way? Think about it like this. When I go on Amazon, right? And many of you guys buy things on Amazon. You go through, you look at what you want, you place your order, and then you hit, you know, you put all the information and shipping address and payment method and all that. And then you hit order. When you hit order, there's a confirmation page, right? That says your order has been placed. Here's your arrival date, estimated arrival time. Now, you don't have that item in your house at that moment, do you? Of course not. All you have is a promise that it's coming. Now, do you continue to hit order again and again and again and again and again because you haven't seen it in your house yet? No, of course not. You wait patiently, having faith that your order has been placed and it will arrive when it's time. That might be the place you are at right now. And I would say this, that you should have at least as much faith in God as you have in Amazon. If God has an answer coming to you, trust that he will get it to you. The Bible tells us this, that when Hannah got her answer, she got up, she went on, she ate, and her face was no longer sad. She wasn't sad anymore. She had just got her confirmation that her answer was on the way. And then we read later that when her and her husband had relations, God remembered her. And she did give birth to a son. That son's name was Samuel. And Hannah, as soon as he was weaned, took him back to Eli to serve at the temple, just as she had promised. While there, she speaks one of the most passionate prayers ever recorded in the Bible. In fact, one of the most passionate prayers ever recorded, period. is found in the first 10 verses of 1 Samuel 2. Samuel was the last judge before Israel was ruled by kings. He was also the first in a new line of prophets. God had used Samuel to anoint both the first and second kings of Israel, first Saul and then David. Now Hannah actually went on to have five more children, three sons and two daughters. And what I would simply do is this. I would encourage you in three areas. I would encourage you to understand that you are enough. As you are right now, who you are is enough. And I would encourage you to not compare. Comparing is a trap. Comparing is a a, a lie of the devil. Comparing is something that causes us to feel inadequate. And so I would say don't compare. And I'm going to say don't compare yourself to three different things. First, don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to other people. There's a lot of problems in doing that. First, coveting, that's a sin, right? Desiring what someone else has, that that jealousy, that, that coveting what someone else has, that's a sin. Exodus 20, 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. <clears throat> Don't be jealous of someone else. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Don't covet what someone else has. Let me give you a few reasons for that. First, you never have the full story, right? You don't know the full story. That model on the billboard, she might have an eating disorder. 
In fact, there's a good chance that that model you see on the billboard or on the picture in the mall or the, that actress that you see that you're comparing yourself to, there's a really good chance that that person is wishing that she had what you have. See, there's a lot of people in the uh, in, in the fashion industry, in the modeling industry. There's a lot of people who are are known for the way that they look. And that is a tremendous pressure on them that anytime they eat the wrong thing at a meal, they have stress that it's going to affect their well-being, their livelihood. If they gain a pound, it's cause for stress. If they have a, a, a pimple, right? If they have anything, any kind of a blemish that happens, it's cause for stress. These people exercise constantly around the clock. They're talking to all kinds of people to keep their bodies looking a certain way. Why? Because their whole livelihoods depend on it. It's a tremendous amount of stress to look in the way they do. Not to mention, chances are, the picture you're looking at has been heavily edited and airbrushed to make the person look unrealistic. Not to mention that a lot of these people have constant doubts all the time if people like them for them or because of the way they look. And all that they would simply want is that people would take what they say seriously, would would consider them to not be uh, um, airheaded, right? Would consider them to not be unintelligent because many of them are very intelligent, but but they're afraid that people won't take them seriously. What am I saying? I'm saying you don't have the full story. You're looking at one person and, and comparing yourself, not realizing that they've got their own struggles too. You don't have the full story. You don't know what it is that they're wrestling with. And as you're sitting there wanting what they have, you don't realize that what they have comes with a whole bunch of other baggage and weight that you don't want. That picture of the perfect family, you don't know how many hours it took to get that picture. Yeah, they look like the perfect family in that picture, but do you know how many hours of bribing the kids it might have taken? That picture of the perfect dinner, it doesn't reflect every single dinner that's served. That just happened to be one that turned out good. I know I've taken pictures of dinners before that looked really good. I'm telling you, most of them don't look that great. I don't take pictures of those. That post about someone's vacation that you're looking at saying, I wish I could do that. That may have put them in debt for years. They may be paying off that vacation by the time, by the, time the kids are graduated. They may still be paying for that thing. You don't know. You don't know the full story. Here's the other thing. You don't know what they had to go through to get there. Every victory has a fight leading up to it. I mean, think about everything that you have accomplished and how much you had to work to get there. Now imagine someone saying, boy, I wish I had what you had. What's your thought? Your thought's the same thing as my thought. Yeah, you don't know what I had to do to get here. You may not want it when you find out the price. You may not want this when you find out how much it costs to get it. Look, if you're on top of a mountain, you had to climb up the mountain to get there. Some people have something that you want, but they paid a price for it that you're not willing to pay to get it. And then here's the other thing. <clears throat> Why shouldn't you compare yourself to someone else? Because you don't know what God still has in store for you. Do you know the name of Panina's children? Any of them? I imagine you probably don't, but I bet you've heard of Samuel. As Hannah was jealous of Penina because of her children, it was Hannah's child, Samuel, that became the one that everybody knows. 
Hannah was blessed in a way that she never could have comprehended. Not only was she given a son, she was given a son that changed the world. She was given a son that would be known about for thousands of years later, that dramatically changed everything, that became the mouthpiece of God himself. You don't know what God has in store for you. Why would you compare yourself to someone else and wanting what they have when God might have something far superior he's trying to get to you? So rather than looking at someone else and being jealous, looking at someone else and saying, I, I can't have what they have. I wish I could have what they have. I, I wish I looked like they looked. I wish I was as smart as they were. I wish I had their success. I wish I had their family. Instead of wishing for that or comparing yourself and beating yourself up over how you are compared to them, I would say this, stop for a moment. When that lie comes to your mind, stop for a moment and instead think about what God has blessed you with already. And find gratitude in what you have. Begin thanking God in that moment. Gratitude is the cure for greed. Coveting, jealousy is counteracted by gratefulness. And so find yourself being grateful. Thank God for what he has given you. Realize that you have so many things that that person you're comparing yourself with probably would want. Instead, thank God for what he's given you and for what he's going to. Here's the other thing I would say. Don't compare yourself against your past. You are who you are right now. You cannot change the past. Now, I'm not talking about comparing yourselves, yourself against the past in order to see how far you've come. That's good. You should do that. But what I'm saying is this. You can't look back at the past and wish you were who you were back then. You can't. You, have no, you can't do that. You are who you are right now. To look back and say, well, I remember when I was younger and thinner. I remember when I was more popular. I remember when I had it all together. Don't do that. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. You can't, do, you can't be that person again. You can't go back in the past and change anything. You are who you are right now. And so focus on being grateful for the moment you're in right now. And, and here's the thing to, to understand. It's another big reason why you shouldn't compare yourself against the past like that. Because we often remember highlights without context, right? I can remember how much happier I was as a kid, but then I leave out the part where I'm lonely or I leave out the part where if I wanted to go anywhere, I had to find someone to drive me because I didn't have a license and I was constantly relying on everyone else. I didn't have true independence. I didn't have freedom. I didn't have my own money, right? I had to, if I wanted to buy something, I had to get my parents to buy it for me. If I wanted to go somewhere, they had to take me. I had curfew. I had a lot of restrictions on myself. I don't think about that, right? I just think, oh, it was great to be a kid. Sure, it was when I was a kid. But if I went back now to live in my mom and dad's house and didn't have a car and didn't have my own money and had to trust that lean on them for everything and rely on them for everything, I would go crazy. I'm grateful for what I have now. Yes, I may not have the carefree uh, thing that I have you know, as a kid because I had no responsibilities, but I also didn't have freedom. I also didn't have the ability to, to bless others in the way that I do now. I didn't have the ability to help others the way that I do now. See, we remember things in highlights, right? Maybe you look back at your relationship with God when you first became a Christian. And you say something like, I remember how passionate I was about God back then, right? That's a highlight. But we leave out how shallow the relationship really was outside of the emotional part. Fact is that 
relationships change over time. Initially, there is an emotional level that's really exciting and it's really, it's really, really heavy, right? It's really passionate. It's really emotional. It's, it's great. But as time moves on, relationships get deeper, right? They, they become stronger. They become deeper. They become more intimate. And yeah, the emotional part of it might change, but the relationship is far better than it was when it started. When, when a person is a brand new Christian, man, they are excited in a way that very few Christians are 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road. But the relationship that they will have with God 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road is far stronger and far deeper and far richer. We remember highlights. We don't remember context. And so when you're looking back and you're remembering the things that you wish you were or wish you had or wish you could do again, don't forget there was a lot of stuff going on that you're you're fooling yourself about, that you're not remembering. And here's the other thing. When we long to be the person we were in the past, we invalidate all of the experiences we had since that point and all of the growth we had from them. And here's the last the last one, don't compare yourself against an ideal scenario, right? So don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to your past and don't compare yourself to the ideal scenario. We don't live in a perfect world. If you compare your real life to an ideal scenario, you will always, always, always be disappointed. Don't get so caught up in wishing for the fictional that you miss out on how amazing your life is right now and how amazing you are right now. Could you be better? Sure, we can all be better. We can all grow. We can all improve and we should. But don't get stuck in a place where you are comparing yourself against the perfect you that you think you could be or wish you could be. That is a recipe for disaster. It's not realistic. Your ideal scenario, by the way, that's not even the best scenario. There's a lot of things that I wished for. There's a lot of things that I thought were the ideal scenario many, many years ago. And I'm going to tell you right now, if God would have simply given me what I had imagined in my mind as the best scenario for my life, I would have missed out. I would, I would have shortchanged myself. When I think about being a teenager, when I think about being a young adult and praying specifically about, about a wife, praying about my son, when I, when I spent time imagining what the perfect scenario was, if God would have given me that, I would have robbed myself. Because the one that God gave me, my wife Chelsea, that God gave me, my son Asher that God gave me, are so much better than I even could have imagined and go so far beyond what I thought was the ideal scenario. Because your ideal scenario, it's not the best scenario. What you think you want, it may not be what you need. And what you think you need, it may not be what you want. You just simply have to trust that God made you the way you are for a reason and that you are enough. I'm glad God didn't give me everything I've asked for because God had so many better things in store. 
And I'm telling you that whatever ideal scenario you think you're comparing yourself against that you think would be the best, it may not be. Your ideal scenario may not be the best scenario. You have to trust God for that. You simply have to trust that God is going to know what is best for you and will give you what is best for you and then trust him along the way. Continue to lean on him and realize that who he made you to be is enough. I'm giving you permission right now to shut out all the voices in this world that tell you you're not enough. Because this world is going to try to convince you that if you were more talented, then you could really do something special. If you were better looking, if you were smarter, if you came from a different family, if you had all of those things that you would be better off. But here's the truth. As long as you keep discounting yourself, thinking that you're at a disadvantage, it will hinder you from rising higher. Well, yeah, pastor, but I'm not as talented as my brother. I'm not as good looking as my friend. I'm not as smart as my coworker. Look, forget all of that. If you had what they had, it wouldn't help you. It would not help you. Why? Because it was made for them, not for you. The reason it works for them is because it was made for them. God didn't give that to you because you don't need it. If you needed to be taller, God would have made you taller. If you needed to be funnier, God would have made you funnier. If you needed to have that talent, God would have given you that talent. This is the message God changed my plans to tell you in this episode. You are enough. Everything that you are is enough. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew who you would be. He knew what he wanted you to do. God started with your purpose in mind, and then he specifically designed you to be exactly what you needed to be in order to fulfill that purpose. You are enough. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to become better in order to be good enough. You are enough right now. You have the right talents. You have the right looks. You have the right personality. You have the right family. Moms, you have everything you need to be the best mother to your children. You are enough. Embrace it. Be thankful for it. Trust the God who made you and gave it to you. You are enough as you are. You are enough. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.